0: This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. You love
1: supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter? Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter Podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark. Paused the fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and that, yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. Is it the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion? The Gates Rev Limited Supercars Podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them.
2: Thunder Media hi i'm chas mostard hi i'm shane van Gisbergen. and you're listening to inside supercars from the racetracks across australia and here's inside supercars
0: today on inside supercars we speak with the new ceo of dick johnson racing david noble and find out about how he accepted the job.
2: I had, you know, some early conversations with Brian, a story leading up to, to Bathurst. Uh, I was able to go up there. I met, you know, Brett Ralph up there and, and Dick along the journey.
0: We also stick our head in the garage to see what he's got.
2: Got a 1965 Mustang. and uh, It's been converted to right hand drive.
0: And the former football coach talks about the similarities he sees between AFL and supercars.
2: You know, top level sport at any area, has a lot of similarities, you know, the the thirst for success, you know, the drive to be better.
0: David Noble coming up today on Inside Supercars, and it starts now.
1: Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Levelle, and we're joined by a man not only new to this sport and new to this team, but uh, new to the whole industry. Welcome, David Noble, to the world of Inside Supercars.
2: Thanks, guys. Pleasure to join you.
1: I hadn't envisaged that uh, I'd be talking to uh, an ex AFL coach. It, it's a very different world you're now walking in, David.
2: It is, yeah, it is. In and in a lot of respects, there's a, a lot of similarities. You know, I believe that you know top level sport at any area has a lot of similarities. You know, the the thirst for success. You know, the drive to be better. You know, the way the organisation. Uh, runs and portrays itself you know publicly in the way that it engages with its partners and its fans um, certainly has a, a lot of similarities and yeah it's, uh, it's a similar size to you know AFL in that environment it just doesn't have 40 odd athletes attached to it.
1: Indeed and one of the great things for you was in your new role as the CEO of Dick Johnson Racing that you were there in Adelaide and experienced it firsthand you weren't having to listen to other people's versions of it you saw it and I'm sure that it would impress you. It,
2: it has. I was lucky enough, you know, I had a, I guess, a, a long lead-in. I'd had, you know, some early conversations with Ryan. A story leading up to, to Bathurst, uh, I was able to go up there. I met, you know, Brett Ralph up there and, and Dick along the journey of the conversations. But yeah, to go to Adelaide, I think, and and see the operation, um, understand, you know, how it's put together. Um, I sat on the cans for the the two races and it was, yeah, a lot of similarities to to the AFL coaches box, you know, in regards to pre-race, you know, previews, strategy, Post race, you know, debrief. There was a lot of similarities. So um, yeah, it was it was great. The, the team did, did a terrific job. We had a lockout on the Sunday and we got a podium.
0: You are from Tasmania originally, but mm. when you took your first uh, administration role after your football career, it was up at the Brisbane Lions.
2: Uh, well, I'd, I'd moved into admin at Adelaide. So I'd come through the coaching at at uh, at the Crows, and I'd I'd spent probably the better part of five years there um, in the list management, and then the head of footy before I went to Brisbane. So yeah, I'd had a I'd had a long stint, and before I moved into coaching full time, I'd also had a ten year period with A and P, you know, in sort of in an ad, administrative role. So I I guess you know that's what led led me to go back to that area. I'd had a um, a good understanding of you know, sports admin and um, had done some study and undertaken some, some new studies. So, yeah, that was the path I wanted to go back to.
0: Perhaps there's no pressure cooker like the Melbourne press and being a coach in it, and mm. particularly with North Melbourne, the team, the position you were in. How do you now take those experiences into the CEO role, understanding what this sport needs to get that pressure cooker happening around this sport.
2: Yeah, well I think one of the key things was you know that having the right people um I've always been a believer of having the right people in the in the right seats and I I guess being on the inside um you know that was certainly um I was able to experience that you know firsthand, um you know looking at the the total components of of the club that you know was working its way towards a Pretty good position. It was debt free. Um, it had had some shifts. We had a new chair that had taken over, um, new general manager that was appointed. So it was certainly oh, we felt that it was you know, heading in the right right direction. It was just going to take a bit of time for for the talent to come through and get some some exposure. So I think you know in reflection, you've got to be really driven, and at the same time, you've also got to be patient to be able to make sure that you get the right outcomes.
1: The biggest single difference between AFL or any type of games ball sport and motor racing is there are twenty something losers on the day, only one winner, mm. and that's a, a fairly different sort of mindset difference. I imagine that for someone who's been in your case, uh, you know, a, a player of uh, ball sport.
2: I guess that's right. I I think there's an element of what I would call a growth mindset that you know we we need to apply in how you define what that failure looks like. Yes, on any given race, there are, you know, three that probably end up on the podium and there's one that's, you know, pretty happy above the rest. But I think it's what, you, what you're what you looking to achieve throughout, you know, that particular round. Um, so how we define that um, failure, it gives us an opportunity to grow and, and allows us to continually, you know, pursue improvement all the time.
1: Tell me, one of the things that's very different about uh, the team you're now with is that they had a solid grounding with the Penske organization. And I'm sure you'd be – you'd be it's not you know fait with every aspect. You know full well that Penske set a benchmark in world motorsport. They weren't just an American team who'd done good. Mm. You know, they're a world leader. So that's something that the teams learned, you know, very quickly, in a short space of time, they had to get up to speed, and they did it. That's something that's very much great for you to inherit, I I would suspect.
2: I think you're right. There, there's no doubt. Um, I didn't need to step into motorsport to understand, you know, Roger Penske's way. Um, you know, they're a, a very um, strong brand in the way that they went about their business. So, yeah, I, I'd known about Roger before, um, in, in that essence, before he came over here. Um, I think AFL is terrific in the sense that it does explore and it researches, um, you know, a number of different organisations that do it well. You know, the All Blacks pop to mind. Um, Sir so Dave Brailsford, I reckon, is another one that I've I've tracked and have emulated in his marginal gains concept. So I think you're right. The, the attention to detail, I think, in our industry, in the motorsport industry, is very strong. It needs to be, it has to be. You need to have strong process and you need to have strong discipline in order to get that car on the track and performing at a level that's going to allow it to win.
1: It's interesting we get this opportunity to speak, David, because um, I, I recently had a, a lunch with John Bauer. And one of the things that fascinates me about motorsport in comparison with most ball sports, not all, but most, is the way in which motorsport and racing drivers and crews very rarely seem to get in the same trouble that players in NRL and less so AFL seem to get themselves into. And, you know, classically we know that the stories bob up in the uh, tabloids as, you know, another player in trouble. Mm. Motorsport doesn't seem to get that. That seems to be something quite that is unique about motorsport. We just don't seem to get that sort of attractions.
2: It is is very unique. I think it's uh, um a... it's a breath of fresh air in that sense because I think the, the demand as you're coming through as a junior and the expectation and the understanding of what you need to do as far as presenting to potential sponsors, presenting to future owners, um, there's there's an element of that development, I think, within the motorsport industry that allows itself to be that way. It's, it's an expectation that that's what we need to do. And if you can't do that, then you know your ability to present in front of key partners, your ability to come and present in front of the media becomes limited, um, and that you know has a a limited limitation on the on the lifespan potentially. So um, it's a it's a different methodology that that the drivers come through with. Um, but it is a huge requirement and it's a key part of our industry to have Will and Anton to be able to present to commercial partners, to be able to go to the media is is paramount um, importance because they're selling our brand and they're, they're also um, you know selling the partners that, that are associated with us.
0: Talking about maturity, it sounds like you have appreciated racing drivers' maturity towards the corporate aspects of the sport which are a huge part of it are a lot earlier in life Mm. but having been in a number of different businesses both sporting and and professional how is the maturity of the business of dgr
2: look i think we've certainly got some room to grow there's no doubt we've got some challenges ahead of us you know with the new gen 3 which create exciting opportunity for us um you know renewing your partners as you're moving forward um you know is is absolutely important um going forward so having success continuing to drive our brand where it's you know a strongly recognized brand across the country um you know our fans um and motorsport fans in general don't seem to cross over in a lot of the the other sectors of you know the sports the ball sports in particular so um yeah i think our our business has got you know, a lot of areas to grow and, you know, I'm hoping that we might be able to bring some of, you know, my learnings from AFL and other different sports that might help us continue to be profitable and, and to grow our business.
1: Speaking of Gen 3, did you get out there for the test yesterday, the Queensland uh, test, raceway test?
2: No, I didn't. No, a few of the boys went up um, and I'll probably have a briefing a, a bit later in the afternoon, but... No, I'm busily catching up with sort of more of our our staff here on the on the floor to be honest and, and spending a bit more time in the office so I didn't I didn't get up there but I certainly will in the new year I'll get to, to see a couple of our shakedowns
1: one of the interesting aspects and it's pure happenstance and coincidence is that you're able to come in with this new car and so there's mm. a whole new game set with the way this is done now that's it must be very encouraging for you.
2: It is. It um. It's the ability of for us to embrace, you know, the the new opportunities that are created, um, new problems to solve. You know, the way that we go about it, the methodology. Um. You know, having two new cars coming in is is very unique in in this sport, as as you guys well know. So that brings with it, you know, excitement. It's going to bring with it some disappointment. You know, it'll be that. Um, Maybe it's one of those years that any team on any given day is going to be able to get their balance and their, you know, their car in the spot that can actually compete with anyone else. Who knows? Um, so that brings with it some exciting opportunity for maybe stronger competition. Um, but we're certainly going flat out at the moment to get ourselves prepared. And our guys have done an unbelievable job this year to, you know, to also assist with the homologation of of Ford, um, as well as continuing to put a competitive car on, on the track week in, week out.
0: Football has a, a season and then there's a, a defined break period mm. before you roll into your preseason. We don't have that in motor racing. No. One of the huge challenges that every team has, and I imagine you're facing now, is how do you manage leave loadings ensuring people can start the season fresh but still homologate a car and then build at least two cars and a spare
2: (laughs) yeah it's a challenge there's no doubt um i'm happy to put the overalls and the boots on and go downstairs and help out if i need to so um not sure i'll be much help apart from changing tyres but look you're right we we need to have you know a clear break uh we'll shut the workshop down in in a few days time and i think most will be done by mid of next week to at least get two or three you know or probably three weeks um as a minimum i think we're trying to aim for to, to get some clarity to get a break um to refresh and then in the new year we'll we'll just have to make sure and keep an eye on everyone that they're not completely you know burned out by the time we get to the start of uh, of race season
1: I imagine, David, it'd be some weeks, uh, maybe months, before you're able to draw up a, a list of KPIs, a list of your expectations and ones for the team. But have you started to formulate, looking at the way you saw the race team work, you listened to them on the radio, are there things that you can already see that you can streamline, you know, improve?
2: Well, <laughs> The short answer is yes. I mean, I think when you step into a new environment, there's a lot of things that, you know, I think in my head you will compare. Um, I think, you know, a couple of the areas from organisationally, I mean, we want to be an agile environment, you know, here to be able to solve problems quickly to, you know, move move forward quickly with um, solutions. You know, we want to formulate some balanced scorecards internally to make sure we can track how our, people are and their well being. We do need and will be engaging with our partners to make sure that they're maximising the the investment that they're making in us. We need to maximise their return. We need to make sure that our BTB business structure is is maximising their value as well. So I think it's not only just about, you know, the the execution of us winning races, it's also about executing how we want our business to flow and to run. Um, And making sure that, yeah, I I think by the time I get, you know, probably halfway through the year, I I would think, you know, I would have a a pretty good feel on what those KPIs will be looking for. But I think your first 12 months is always about trying to understand the business, work with it, um, you know, get to know your people and make sure that you're investing in them as much as we can.
0: Normally, football analogies are are very difficult when we talk supercars because people don't understand the business (laughs) of both. But you were a, a manager of football in your career. At what point in a supercars team do you have technical and the engineering side, the race team side of it, and the separation of church and state from the management side of it? And how do you as the CEO... Bridge those two departments, much like in a, a football team, when I'm sure the coaching and playing departments are at perhaps a different point than the front office
2: is. Well, I think it's backing in the people that you've got in those areas, you know, creating your framework around how you're going to operate as a as a team, you know, internally as well. Whether you're creating a you know a management team, um, and yeah, making sure that the people that are within those management. Areas underneath you or beside you that have got the resources that they actually need to operate and to function. So um, it means that we can divert our resources to an area that might need more assistance or less. Um, So I think that the capacity for us to keep a handle across the businesses to how we function, how we move on a weekly basis, what we need to actually prepare and review, you know, pre and post race. I think it's all those things that come into the process and the structure of how you set up internally and how you manage across those different sectors. It's very similar, I was saying before, it's very similar to a football um, department or a football club structure. You know, you've got a general manager of football, like a team principal, then you've got all the elements underneath of high performance, medical, welfare, recruiting, which is sort of like, you know, engineering, machine shop. Um, you know, paint. So there's a whole hope mechanics. So there's a whole host of similarities that run through the organisation. So I think you know, philosophically, that's how I think the structure of um, what we'll try to put together looks like.
1: A number of friends of mine who are retired race car mechanics, engineers, fabricators went to Adelaide, and they, much as they found it very difficult sitting in a grandstand, they couldn't do it. Uh, I imagine it'd be as similar as a sort of. Going and watching AFL, you you want to be right involved. The one thing that they mostly said to me was how well run that event was. I mean, obviously it's sort of almost thirty years in the practice, thirty years in training, and something that you probably would not be aware of. And I tell it to a lot of people, particularly South Australians, is that the South Australian Motorsport Board taught Formula One how to do Formula One, and it's something that that showed up that weekend because. It ran swiftly. There were no giant gaps in the program. There were no large spaces empty around the track anywhere. It was chock-a-block full of things that were happening, and uh, you know it. It really did. It was a showcase of the way in which the Adelaide Five Hundred was set up. And now, as a final event, as the last one in the Supercars Championship, it's an amazing situation to have. It won. That went so smoothly for its first running as a final event.
2: Yeah, certainly, we'd been we'd lived in Adelaide for a number of years. I think it was fourteen years we lived there, and we were regular to the to the Adelaide event, So it was great to see its its return, albeit in a different time frame. But but gee, it as you say, it was it was run so well it had a great feel to it as the the last event you know of the season not to mention you know the sentiment with the other brand that i can't mention but um you know it was it was great to see you know it return and you know the support that is in south australia for motorsport
0: david you have mentioned on a number of occasions your love for motorsport but coming from north hobart were you Uh, taken to uh, tracks in and around basketball and and places like that as a kid. Where (laughs) did that love of motorsport or that interest in motorsport emanate from?
2: Yeah, I did go to Baskerville a few times. Crikey, you're bringing back out of the memories now. Um, Yes, it it was. I had a few friends that were into the go-karts and bits and pieces and I never really got into that side where I had to make a decision to sort of it was either in one or the other it was always you know football for me but yeah I, I had an interest um had a number of uh friends that had cars that they'd done up um a few of the speedways that we went to from some drags and uh, all those sort of different you know elements of of motorsport and then when they used to televise Bathurst Down in Tassie, it was BFL on one weekend and then the following it was, you know, always traditional to have the the Bathurst going on the following Sunday. Um yeah, and I'd just I'd love the the smell of the fumes in the nostrils and the the speed that those guys used to run around with and I've yeah, just continued to follow it. Never been able to get to a lot of it. I used to get to uh the sand down on a regular with a friend of mine in in Victoria for a number of years and um, yeah, see so practice on the Friday. So yeah, I guess I've always had an interest in it. And got a couple of old vehicles myself. Can we delve into what's <laughs> in the garage? You can. I've got a 1965 Mustang. Uh, it's been converted to right-hand drive. So beautiful little vehicle that we've we've been able to secure. And I've got a 2005 CB8Z Monaro.
0: You'll have Herod engines <laughs> in them fairly soon.
2: <laughs> I dare say. I dare say Rob will be. Um, will be knocking on my office to sort of say, and bring them down to the garage and we'll drop a couple of engines in there for you.
0: And have you used them on track days or done any of that sort of thing with them? Because they're both very uh, powerful cars.
2: Yeah, no, I haven't. I'm keen to get the, the Mustang around and um, and see how she goes around the track. So I've got an original 289 in her. And um, yeah, the I think a couple of the person not, that we bought off of the previous one had done pretty much a rails up restoration. So um, I did a really good job. So she's in good. But yeah, I'm keen to, to race her around uh, um, the track. So yeah, we'll see how we go.
1: One of the interesting aspects with what you come from is that while AFL has maybe not dozens, but certainly quite a few legends of the game. The one I know quite well, I worked with him for a period of time back in the 80s and early 90s, was Kevin Sheedy. You've got one in your garage in in the form of Dick Johnson. Now, Dick uh, has been through so many different phases of Australian motorsport. He brings a lot of knowledge uh, that you can tap into, I imagine.
2: He does, yes. I've had a a couple of opportunities to sit down and and to pick his brains and to not only, you know, understand the uh, the Dick Johnson, you know, business and way, it's also to understand, you know, the history and be reflective around, um, you know, my, I guess, good fortune to be able to work in such a, an iconic business. Um, you know, I've seen it firsthand at Bathurst this year in, in not great weather, but the, you know, the love and the that he's revered with, you know, from our fans and to, yeah, to be able to, to continue to provide, um, I guess, opportunity for our fans to celebrate, you know, Dick's achievements along the way and with our, with our you know, the way the current business is, is, uh, yeah, is great. And looking forward to seeing if we can't expand that engagement with our fans in the next couple of years.
0: The business, David, is in an interesting position. Mm. And whilst... Supercars has got the events side, they've got their own media side and television online production company, which is much more than television, but then there is the team space and I'm interested in what you've already seen about the link between the teams and then of course the mothership as one of the team owners loves to call Supercars itself and how you can see strengthening those links and being able to exploit Opportunities for Dick Johnson Racing that might be separate to supercars.
2: Well, I think you know you look back a number of years ago um, at the AFL and how I think they harness the collective power of the teams, you know, working unitedly, you know, with the AFL. Um, and I'm, you know, apologise if I'm speaking out of school here, but I, I think that's obviously helpful if the teams can work with supercars in order to continue to you know advance the brand the brand and move it forward and to have um you know better outcomes for teams have better outcomes for fans have better you know fan engagement and and race day experiences so um yeah that that's i think the way that i've probably seen it from you know a, a national level sport and hoping that you know we can continue to build our relationship as, with supercars and continue to support them trying to move the sport into a, you know, a bigger and better position.
0: And at the, the same time, they need to give you space to do what you need to do mm. for your collective partners. Shell and all the other names on the car all have commitments that you have to make and you have to be able to operate inside that framework that supercars are setting because... I would say that 50 to 60% of those interactions are all done at the track.
2: A fair chunk. It might be a bit more, um, actually, but certainly the, you know, your follow-up, your attention to detail, your personal contact with those, you know, partners and and finding the space to be able to provide, um, as I said before, the, I guess, the investment that they make in you and then to be able to find the ability to return that investment um to your partners is is pretty important Um, it's crucial so i think you know track experiences is is one Um, i think the cross-pollination of business to business experiences is another Um, i think the the personalization of working with those partners individually as to what you know future opportunities might provide is also another another avenue so yeah so finding that space in the middle ground between you know, head office between supercars and ourselves as in our own space is important.
1: Well, David, thank you so much for giving us a a little bit of an inkling into uh, a time when you're just getting your feet under the desk. Um, I'm sure that your uh, learning curve will flatten out dramatically as the year goes on. And we look forward to uh, catching up uh, in Newcastle and a few months into the job that you should be able to uh, give us chapter and verse as to how they should be doing it. Maybe not.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, who knows, I've I've got to make sure that I don't have little information and ask too many difficult questions. So um, we'll see how we go. No, thanks thanks very much for having me on guys, been great.
1: Been wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. David Noble of DJR Racing. Love supercars and keeping up to speed sometimes means hitting the rev limiter. Welcome to the Gates Rev Limiter podcast. After each round, we unpack what happened. Join Andrew Clark, we paused the fraction and got it right, and they probably still would have won the race. I mean, and yours truly, Neville Wilkinson. These are the heady days when Ford was spending mega bucks for all the action, all the controversy, and sometimes a little emotion. The Gates Rev Limited Supercars podcast. Subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or where you listen to them.